coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And I would say happy Friday to you, but if you are in or around Metro Atlanta or throughout the state of Georgia, you, like me, are licking your wounds after another unceremonious early exit from our beloved Atlanta Braves. How are you? Let's head into the weekend with that on our minds, right? <sighs> first things first, though, uh, we've talked for a couple of days about redistricting scenarios. Uh, we know that uh, last week we got uh, some positive news out of uh, the state of Alabama's fight, the uh, NAACP and other rights organizations working to get a fairer map drawn for Alabama voters. And uh, we were talking yesterday with Lamar White from uh, Louisiana uh, about Louisiana's potential litigation scenario as well. South Carolina going through it right now, and Georgia could be as well. Joining me to talk about report card grades. The report cards are in, and the parents shouldn't be all that happy. And we, the voters, are the parents, right? Anyway, here to talk to me about that is Dan Vacuña. He is the Director of Redistricting and Representation for Common Cause. Dan, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So first things first, uh, as a parent, I'm a little upset. My kid got a D here in the state of Georgia. What did my kid do wrong? Well, let's yeah, let's dive in. Yeah, this so is a parent-teacher Georgia. conference. Let's do this. <laughs> which, I, which I'm quite familiar with. Uh, <laughs> Here we, well, here we go. Um, you know, Georgia engaged in uh, racial discrimination in redistricting. They don't say uh, let let a uh, a, a partisan um, a tr- process that was not transparent. Um, didn't involve uh, the public. Uh, they the legislators were not interested in any kind of public input, and certainly didn't draw maps that uh, reflected public input. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, I'm happy to dive into exactly how that was. So I was going to say, when I pull up the Georgia score, Georgia actually kind of sought the input. They just didn't care about it. They didn't pay any attention to it. Is that, that, that seems to be the assessment I read from what you guys came up with. Yeah, I mean, that's right. I think there, you know, the, the reason why Georgia avoided an F, uh, you know, and, and what we did is uh, get input from people who actually worked on the ground. And I think that they were pleasantly surprised by the fact that there were some public hearings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was an opportunity for people to actually speak their piece, so they decided to, to not give a complete failing grade. But they also noted, and I think uh, the, the, rec- the, the record reflects, and some lawsuits, including one we're filing, reflect, is that the legislature ignored what people had to say. It was a <laughs> bit of a dog and pony show designed to make it look transparent so they could just walk away and basically throw the public's work in the trash and do what they wanted to do. So they get away with this because there don't seem to be a whole lot of repercussions. Uh, I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, litigation comes up and folks take these uh, the, these unfair maps to court and hopefully they can get some sort of resolution. With a stacked Supreme Court, I think a lot of folks are of the mindset that, eh, what's the point? You're, you're going to face some problems at the Supreme Court. But honestly, the Supreme Court's been, dare I say it, kind of fair on this in some respects, have they not? Yeah, well, you know, you mentioned uh, a racial discrimination case going up to the court in Alabama, mm-hmm. where uh, voting rights advocates like ourselves were were very nervous that the Supreme Court uh, would dismantle uh, the Voting Rights Act, a section that still allows lawsuits to be filed and that still requires communities of color where where it makes sense, their population is big enough, they're compact enough, uh, where it requires districts to be drawn so they can elect their candidates of choice. And we thought that, that Alabama case might create a big risk for that requirement and for voting rights generally, but the Supreme Court 
um, saw what was a clearly egregious gerrymander in Alabama, where mm-hmm. it was very clear that the black community uh, had the population to have a, a second congressional district there, um, in which they collect their candidate. And the Supreme Court saw right through what Alabama did and, and sent it back and said, "No, you got you've got to do this right. You got to you got to draw a second congressional district and uh, empower black voters the way their population is, uh, deserves." Dan Vacuña joining us from the group Common Cause. He's the director of redistricting and representation. So that being said, you've seen the new map, uh, as I'm sure most folks have. W- what are your initial thoughts on the new map itself? In Alabama, that yeah. is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, the legislature actually just at first just ignored a court order, yeah. right? The, the, court, the court said, you've got to draw the second majority black district. That's what the law requires. And mm-hmm. they said, nah, we're good. Yeah, uh, They didn't. So the court uh, was pretty unhappy. Jud- judges don't like to see their orders ignored. So what they what they did is take it right out of the hands of the legislators. Hired uh, what, what in the legal professions usually usually called a special master, mm-hmm. um, an expert at drawing districts, usually a political scientist, mm-hmm. um, who who drew a map, uh, three different maps in which um, a black community could elect the candidate of their choice in two different districts, which is about right for the population. Uh, and they chose one of those maps, and it it makes a lot of sense. It looks. It looks good. It's 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 a sort of nonpartisan process that that we're in favor of, not with legislators not really having their hand in it. So uh, you know, we're we're glad that the courts stepped up and took that power away and did the right thing. I talked with uh, again from the Bayou Brief, Lamar White, yesterday, and we were talking a little bit about the South Carolina case. And I mentioned to him that having lived in South Carolina for eleven years myself, there's always been, especially on the left. A lot of that underlying discussion about the fact that we have one minority representative in Congress in the state of South Carolina and that he is super protected because his district is sort of gerrymandered. So there does seem to be some egregiousness maybe on the left and the right throughout the country. But in in South Carolina's case, again, that's the the sort of underlying murmuring you hear on the left that uh, Jim Clyburn's district is really, really, really safe, which means that other districts that are nearby aren't in play because of that. Uh, how often do you see that throughout the country? Well, I think there there has been some times where you'll see incumbents that want to receive extra protection, right? Mm. An incumbent that relies on uh, black communities vote to succeed uh, may, may want uh, to strengthen that by adding more black voters into their district in a way that really weakens the ability of black voters in, in surrounding districts right. to make their voices heard. And I know that, that uh, Congressman Clyburn has pretty vehemently denied colluding with Republicans because there, there was some accusations about that. Right. Um, but, you know, you, you do, I think more often you see uh, black incumbents say, look, I'm, I'm, pretty well set up in this district. Uh, the population knows me. I think I'm going to do just fine. I don't want you discriminating against uh, black constituents in nearby districts um, for the purposes of making it harder for them to have a voice other places. And this is exactly what we saw in South Carolina, where 30,000 residents of Charleston uh, were just shifted into Congressman Clyburn's district uh, so that uh, their, pa- their power to um, elect their candidate choice would be weakened and ended up um, you know, strengthening a district for uh, Republicans next door. So, exactly, uh, pretty clear example. Yeah, you know? I mean, we have Nancy Mace instead of Joe Cunningham, who was something of a moderate Democrat, but he was a Democrat nonetheless. This report, by the way, put together by a group called Charge, the Coalition Hub for Advancing Redistricting and Grassroots Engagement. There must be like a company that comes up with these uh, acronyms because that's a that's a good one there. But it includes uh, your organization, Common Cause and Fair Count, the League of Women Voters, NAACP, and more. 
Um, how often is, is this the first such report card batch that we've gotten from an organization like this, or is, has this been scrutinized in the past? This is the first uh, report of its kind, uh, at least that we've done that I'm aware of. Um, you know, charge was primarily focused early on in the redistricting cycle on training people around the country. We had about 30 of our own trainings, uh, trained about 2,200 people to give testimony, to learn about community mapping using free software mm -hmm. and go show legislators and other decision makers on restoring that the people were watching and had input. And sort of once that was, was over, we're now in kind of a litigation phase and a reform phase to think about how we can make the process better in the states. Uh, we decided to turn our attention to hearing from activists about how things went and, and giving a grade and figuring out some lessons learned on it. Dan Vacuna joining us from Common Cause. He's the director of redistricting and representation. You mentioned software. Why do we not see uh, 21st century technologies actually being put to use to draw these maps in a more fair manner? Well, we do in some ways. There, there's a few different organizations. Uh, there are, uh, an organization for a Princeton gerrymandering project, mm -hmm. uh, which had some good free software uh, to get people to, to submit community maps, um, and some other, some other folks that created basically just you know very user user friendly kind of if you know how to do Google Maps you can yeah. uh, you can get together with folks and do community mapping and submit them to legislators. But you know in a lot of ways there, there's a lot of secrecy in legislatures surrounding the data right. being used for redistricting and and the software that you know they'll send out draft maps that are PDFs in which people can't really use to determine kind of what the demographic implications mm -hmm. are political implications are of a map. So get, getting free software in the hands of people is, is a huge issue and, and really empowering. So I'm a partisan. And the first thing I wanted to look at was uh, how many of the failing states, I'd say, you know, D plus and below were red states versus blue states. And I came up with the number 18 out of the 20. That being said, there are two, you know, so-called blue states. You have, uh, I see New York and there was another one, Illinois. What are some of the common threads uh, that you can find amongst all 20 of those states that need to be addressed? There's absolutely a problem with secrecy. Um, you know, Illinois was a place where they legislators literally went to a basement behind a locked door mm. uh, and Democrats only looked at what their maps would be like with not particularly any um, participation of the public, very short notice on uh, when hearings would take place and pretty quick hearings. Uh, in the middle of, the, of, a, of a work day. Um, so you see a lot of transparency problems, um, clear focus on partisan advantage only um, without, without interest in the impacts on communities. Um, you know, just simply a, a lack of any interest in figuring out what worked best what's for, for communities. You know, and, and obviously like we got into earlier, problems with racial discrimination, mm -hmm. Um, you know, again, even in some of the, like in, in a blue state, uh, you know, Illinois faced a lawsuit from the black community that, and that said, basically, uh, black voters were kind of sprinkled into a bunch of different districts to help strengthen democratic in, incumbents, democratic candidates in a way that would make it harder though for the black community to elect their candidates of choice. Um, you know, in New York, you saw a, uh, a lesson about how independent commissions, um, make a huge difference, and there are sort of fake commissions uh, that are really run by partisans, directly appointed by uh, elected officials that are not the gold standard model that you see in places like Michigan, uh, California, Colorado, 
New York's is a partisan commission, and they deadlocked and it sent it back to the legislature, and the legislature drew maps for partisan advantage. So uh, those are just some of the, 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 the ties that bind kind of the, the worst grades. Dan Vicuña joining us from Common Cause, Director of Redistricting and Representation. Why does there not seem to be an appetite amongst the public? I, I, to me, this should be like one of the top five issues in every election cycle. There just doesn't seem to be an appetite for eliminating gerrymandering. Uh, does it, does, is it going to take someone to just champion the cause and make that the drumbeat, the one thing they always talk about when they're on the uh, on the dais? Well, look, I'll, I'll agree with the uh, your uh, your assumption that at first, redistricting doesn't doesn't pop as much as other issues, right? right. It obviously, doesn't have the same public understanding as like gun issues or uh, abortion rights. But when these re- reforms, uh, you know, creating independent commissions, uh, banning partisan gerrymandering explicitly in state constitutions, mm. when they show up on the ballot, um, as they increasingly have in the last five to ten years, they succeed. So people are making the connection, even if it isn't the first thing they think about when they wake up in the morning, uh, when when connections are made between redistricting and the substantive issues that people care about and the ability of communities to win important health and safety resources for their neighborhoods, people get it and reforms pass. So I think there is a growing consciousness about why this matters. Well, I get the sense that this seems to be happening more in blue states, like uh, the Electoral College Compact that a lot of blue states want to sign that red states are, are low to do because their side tends to benefit it, uh, from it politically. But I also, again, I'm looking at this report card, 20 of the, I mean, 18 of the 20 failing states are red states. And I think their party and their constituents just fine with that. I think we're seeing successes in both and potential successes in both. You know, one of the, the most exciting ballot initiatives that are going forward this year are going to have, is going to happen in Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, common cause and some other national allies work with in-state folks to, to work on a reform that really worked for Ohio. And we just got word a couple of days ago that it's going to go to the ballot, that we got approval as a, some of the, the legal hurdles you have to have to get over, uh, and it's gonna, we're going to go gather signatures for it. Uh, I think partly the states where you see successes um, r- relate to which states have ballot initiative options. This is obviously a power that legislators really guard with their lives if they can, so, you, so it's easier to go around them. Um, using the state, using the ballot initiative process, uh, but you know, but even at the state court level, you know, we saw some successes both in red and blue states where state courts are starting to prohibit partisan gerrymandering, calling it a violation of state law for everything from a you know the, the state supreme courts in Alaska to New Mexico, um, and so very different politically, but coming to the same conclusions about what a problem gerrymandering is for democracy. Dan Vacuna joining us from Common Cause. He's the Director of Redistricting and Representation. A couple more questions we'll have him when we return on The Ron Show. The American One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show. Happy weekend to you. I am on the phone with Dan Vacuna, not Acuna. No, I know, too soon. Anyway, Dan is the Director of Redistricting and Representation at Common Cause. They just released... Uh, the report card, 50-state report card, talking about how the states fared when it came to redistricting. And surprise of all surprise, the Coalition Hub for Advancing Redistricting and Grassroots Engagement, or CHARGE, discovered that Georgia got a D. Georgia, by the way, one of the 18 of 20 states that are reliably red states that got Ds or worse. And the only thing worse is an F. By the way, Dan is also a Los Angeles Dodgers fan, 
and he too is licking his wounds after his juggernaut of a baseball team got knocked out of the playoffs earlier than expected. And while I'd love to have a conversation with another fan of a really good team that won 100 plus games, Orioles fans, I feel you, that got bounced because of a five-day layoff that may or may not, I think it did have an impact on the way the team's played. I'm going to spare you of that. Let's just get back to talking redistricting, okay? <laughs> All right, Dan, since we have uh, right here in the heart of Georgia a D-grade, and we have D-grades, and uh, D-grades are even worse in neighboring states like Alabama and Florida, and I, and I guess you guys may have to revise the Alabama vote here pretty soon. Um, what can the common citizen or someone who is uh, concerned about uh, gerrymandering in, in, in redistricting, what, what can we do? Who do we, who do we go to? What do we, who do we back? Do we, do we throw money at somebody? Do we talk to our congressperson? Do we talk to our state representative? Or how, how does this get fixed? I think you, uh, <laughs> you can do, always, always throw money at common cause. I will always have to take that. <laughs> but, but, but you know there are, there are reform groups, there are civil rights groups that look at whatever the appropriate tactic is in a state. In states that have ballot initiative options, like I said, in Ohio, we're going to the ballot. Michigan did a few cycles ago. Um, look to participate in those ballot initiative options. If there if there are states locally, if, if you're in a state that doesn't have a ballot initiative. Uh, it may be about supporting litigation. Uh, be you may be a plaintiff. Some, sometimes we have to have to ask our members to mm-hmm. be a plaintiff to make sure that we have standing to to, to go to court. Um, I think when, when registering time comes around, um, showing up and giving testimony, submitting community maps. You know, one thing we learn is that you know, of course, we are uh, sort of born cynical about the ability to win victories in states where legislatures are in control. But mm-hmm. we did find that, you know, sometimes on the margins, you know, you're not getting gold standard districts anywhere where legislatures are in charge, but you can shame legislators if you shine the light on an, a really egregious um, split in a community. Um, so it is still worth showing up uh, to a legislator's door, knocking on the door and letting them know you're watching. And I, I lied. Actually, I do have one more question uh, because I think Georgia is, is unique. And actually, you focused in a few states on some of the local issues as well. In Georgia, uh, we see examples where in a couple counties, the state legislature, by the way, charged with drawing uh, commission maps in all 159 counties. To me, that is asinine. We, we've seen where the state legislature has tried to go in and, you know, throw some disparity or some partisanship uh, on, on some counties that are obviously swinging in a different direction. Cobb County coming to mind. Cobb County used to be a reliably red county in suburban Atlanta. It is now a, it has been since 2016 with Hillary, uh, 2018 with Stacey Abrams, 2020 with Joe Biden, 2022 with Stacey Abrams as well. It's a reliably blue county. And yet the GOP wanted to erase a 3-2 blue majority. So speak about some of the local nuances to what you guys have been uh, uncovering as well. Yeah, I mean, we, we know that Congress and state legislatures tend to dominate the headlines, but local government really passes the laws that tend to impact us on our daily basis. And, you know, Georgia, the legislature just decided to steal the power away to draw districts from localities and take it for themselves. Right. And, you know, this is a, this obviously makes it very difficult for, for advocates um, to kind of get involved effectively when there's there's action everywhere at the same time. One advocate called the county-level process an onslaught and ambush um, <laughs> because it was just incredibly you know difficult to push back on what became a statewide gerrymander at, at every county level. Um, so, you know, we, we push for, for independent, open, transparent processes 
um, at the at the local level as well, and certainly a state a state government primarily concerned with keeping counties red. Um, it doesn't fit the bill when it comes to uh, the right the right approach to redistricting. My mind is just kind of blown that any state legislature would say, "Yeah, let's take that task on as well as all the other stuff we have to do." And oh, by the way, running for reelection every two years and fundraising and calling I, to me, it's like uh, that's one less thing I would want to deal with, and that's a pretty arduous task. One hundred fifty nine counties. It's a, it's a it's a breathtaking uh, amount of energy to manipulate democracy in your favor but uh, i guess they, they they felt like they had the energy i mean it's necessary if you like power anyway thank you so much dan vicuña director of redistricting and representation at common cause commoncause.org we'll put that in the show notes at ronshowatl.com so if folks want to kind of root around and check out this report card and find out ways to uh, support common cause they can do so dan thanks so much thank you appreciate it okay when we come back we're going to talk with chris dowd from athens politics nerd to find out why it's their district attorney Deborah Gonzalez, that is very likely the reason we have a state law that gives a partisan board the ability to remove a locally elected district attorney. That conversation next when the Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is the Ron Show on America One Radio. Grateful to have Chris Dow joins us from Athens Politics Nerd. Chris, how are you? Pretty good. Glad to be here, Ron. Thanks. I appreciate that. First of all, tell us a little bit about uh, Athens Politics Nerd and uh, how, how it got started and how you how you keep it afloat. Oh, well, um, it is uh, a local news organization. I mean, it, it's just me, but I'm, uh, I have a website. I uh, generally cover the mayor and commission meetings here in Athens. And yeah, I uh, keep it afloat with just member donations. Good to know. And we will send folks, uh, we'll put that in today's show notes at AthensPoliticsNerd.com. Hopefully you'll get a, a little bit more uh, pressing of the buttons there and a few more donations. It's always good to have grassroots local journalism. We've learned that that has been necessary here in the Cop City saga. Over there, the big story in Athens, which actually reverberates back to the General Assembly, is your local district attorney, uh, Deborah Gonzalez. She's She's been under fire. And not just by partisans on the right. Fill us in a little bit on who Deborah is and what's got her uh, in, in so many folks' crosshairs. Well, um, she you know started off as an uh, entertainment lawyer um, here in town. Uh, she ran uh, oh, and, and she won um, an election for a state representative, um, and uh, she she served there for a term uh, before um, Houston Gaines. Uh, Kind of ran against her and, and beat her, and and then and then she ran for um, district attorney, and she won that race. And and there were a whole lot of barriers in the way. I don't know if you want to get into all that, but she had to win a lawsuit against the state to even run for for the seat. But she she got through all of that, and during her campaign, she sort of emphasized uh, that she wanted to change the you know the system of mass incarceration that unfortunately we're all in here as Americans. Mm. And um, yeah, so she. she you know, ran on things like not prosecuting low-level cannabis offenses, for mm-hmm. example. And she said she wouldn't prosecute women who got abortions also. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of put her uh, under fire from the right uh, and, and, and the center as well. Uh, because, you know, it's true that she didn't really have that much experience coming into this job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she's had some major problems um, in office, uh, especially with the pandemic. You know, they, they shut down the court system for a while. So that led to right. a huge backlog of cases. So it really was a really difficult time for someone who doesn't, you know, have have that prosecutorial experience. Um, now, I mean, she's got it now, but... Uh, <laughs> 
Um, it, it, it's been a rough few years for her in office, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there, there are accusations from her even that uh, staffing shortages are the root cause of a lot of her office's shortcomings. Uh, those who are critical of her and her office speak of, uh, you know, not, not being sympathetic to victims' needs. How much of that is due to staff shortages and how much of that is due to her inexperience? I, I think the inexperience partially led to the staff shortages. I, I think that those two things kind of intertwined. Um, and um, but, but but what I don't think that the thing the thing is is like her. Some people say that she's refusing to do her job, but like not prosecuting these low level offenses, which there are very few of. I mean, this is not like a that's not like a big part of the thing. But um, uh, the they blame that when, when, when really that's really got nothing to do with it. And the, the scary thing is we, we see this happening not just in little red dots and blue states like Georgia or little blue dots and red states like Georgia, but we see this happening even in, you know, as blue as it can get, blue San Francisco in a super blue state as well, where you have progressive prosecutor, progressive district attorneys who say that, eh, we don't want to fight this low level, low level stuff and bloat our jail and prison population that much more. Famously here in Atlanta and Fulton County, we're dealing with, uh, you know, jail and prison overcrowding as well. And a lot of the talk is about, you know, letting some of the low level offenders go if they're not threats to human safety. So what, what I think she's trying to do is kind of noble, but it feels like almost from the moment she said something about abortion after the state's new uh, restrictive abortion law, that's when she really started running afoul of those on the right. Would you sign on to that? Would you say that that's kind of when things really got toasty for her? Um, I, I think, you know, she's very outspoken. Um, I, I think she rubbed some people the wrong way. Oh, well, being an outspoken um, liberal female will do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so I, I think I think that's definitely part of it, uh, the abortion issue. Um, but, but I think it, it's a little deeper than that, I think. It's just kind of who she is in the political space she's trying to occupy is just going to bring some, some attacks on her. And and, but, but, and, and the, the real thing is that, yeah, she doesn't have it. She didn't have the experience when she started. Mm. And it was a really bad time for someone not to have experience right. to be in that position. Right. Um, so, so it's partially – some things they say are partially justified, you know. Um, but, but I think it's really the voters who are the ones who need to make this decision. Mm. It's not the prosecuting attorney's counsel, you know, because they're trying to take the decision out of the voters' hands because they're afraid she's going to get reelected. Right. Yeah, to uh, to remind folks, uh, the uh, Georgia General Assembly and Governor Kemp signed into law the the new law that provides for this new uh, prosecuting attorney's oversight council, which gives this council the ability, if they deem fit, to remove a district attorney elected locally. And while, again, in Atlanta, a lot of folks are focusing on Fonnie Willis because Fonnie has her plate full dealing with, uh, you know, insurrectionists in January 6th and Donald Trump. Uh, under the radar, and at least here uh, at the state level and in Atlanta, it seems like it's Deborah Gonzalez that might be the one who is first uh, in the line of fire. I, I think uh, so. Uh, Governor Brian Kemp says that, you know, he never intended the law to be used against someone like uh, Fannie Willis. And I think that's true. I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from the beginning, I think they had in mind Deborah Gonzalez yeah. uh, because, you know, Kemp lives here in Athens. Um, another one of the sponsors of the bill, Brian Kalser, you know, he, he uh, lives here in Athens or, or at least did until very recently. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I, I think 
but 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 you know when you create kind of an undemocratic mechanism to remove people from office, you really can't act surprised when it gets out of your control, uh, which is I think what's happening. We're on with Chris Dowd from Athens Politics Nerd. You can follow him at AthensPoliticsNerd.com. So uh, he, she does have someone who's going to be running against her, a fellow by the name of, and please help me if I'm mispronouncing this, Kalki Yalamanchili. Am I saying that right? I, I, I think that's right. All right. I just nailed that from downtown. Uh, anyway, he announced his campaign at the uh, courthouse uh, last week. Uh, he says he's running as a nonpartisan. What do we know about him? I personally, I have not talked with him. Um, I, I know that I, I know he's running as independent, um, which I think is going to be a tough road to hoe for him uh, because this is a partisan race. I think most people kind of go you know, in, into the ballot box and they, they generally vote along party lines a lot of the time. So I, I think it's going to be difficult for him to really break through. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't a Republican uh, yeah. who runs. I, I think it's going to be the, uh, this guy um, running from more like, like the center to, to the right, mm-hmm. and he's going to try to you know gain support from this governor to the right of Deborah. Um, and that, but I think you know I, I really feel that I kind of hope that there is a primary that someone does try to run against Deborah in a primary because I, I would like kind of Democrats to sort because I'm a Democrat personally, and I just would like Democrats to you know, make up our minds about who, who we want to go forward with. You know, do we think Deborah's been doing a good job or, or, or that it's been justified, the problems that she's been having? Um, I kind of want to decide that before we even get to the general. I was just going to ask you, are you hearing any rumblings from uh, from candidates on the right or the left that might consider putting their name in the hat? Uh, j- just um, this one independent is the only one I've heard of. I, yeah, I, I'm really, it's going to be interesting a uh, few months to see who else jumps in because there, there definitely might be someone, but I haven't, I haven't heard though myself. And do we know for a fact that, uh, Ms. Gonzalez is going to run for another term? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty positive about that. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I've sit here and I watch this and, and, and I, I feel somewhat sympathetic to her scenario. I, I came in to manage yeah. a radio station in a very large market, my last radio stop here. And there was a lot to deal with, and a lot of it was, you know, very circumstantial and unique. And you know, I, I got in there for a year, and we we did some really good things numbers wise. And the staffing scenario was kind of crazy. And you know, eventually, when when you're when you're new to a situation, you're you're the last one in, first one out when something goes wrong. And so I kind of feel like that might be a little bit of what she's dealing with. But I also understand. The political, and I'm sure she does too. The political ramifications of taking a principled stand when it comes to uh, not prosecuting cannabis offenses. Uh, I mean, because you know you're 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 eating into an industry there, the the bail bond industry, and don't think that they're not lobbying. And obviously, the mm-hmm. the, the stance on uh, prosecuting women uh, who who may run afoul of the state's abortion law is going to get the right to life and right wingers who pander to them going to get their hackles up. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, she's not someone who backs down from a fight. And I think it's very admirable in some ways. In other ways, I think it's gotten her in trouble. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, you being a liberal, do you get a sense of any sort of uh, weariness or, you know, just, just ready to move on and, and, and put another name out there just to, just to you know, come, come out from underneath all of the, all of the smoke that's, uh, you know, risen above her name? I think it's mixed. I, th- I think, I think most Democrats probably support her still. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do think they're, 
there's definitely room for someone to run. Uh, I don't I don't know if they would win in a primary, but I think there's definitely room for for some some criticism. I, yeah, and I think I think it's definitely true that yeah, I don't know, she hasn't done everything perfectly well in, in the first term. You know, I, I think that's pretty pretty clear. But, but I mean, but do we want someone to carry forward these values? Absolutely. Gotcha. All right. Chris Dowd, Athens politics nerd. Man, thank you so much for catching us up on that story. Like I said, I know it's something that gets a lot of ink, maybe locally, but outside of the bubble of Athens. Clark, we only hear the name when it comes up because of the new state law and the new council that can take out a local district attorney in the first place. We appreciate you giving us the update. All right. Yeah. uh, Thanks so much. All right. One last segment of the Ron show for the week. We may have a new house speaker. Uh, Yeah. So uh, we'll report on that. There was actually uh, a last-ditch effort from a Georgia congressperson. No, not that one. Whew, thank goodness. And there seems to be, going back to Athens, some noise and some confusion, I would say. Some of it actually, I believe, purposeful when it comes to college campus protests in the wake of the Hamas attack on Israel and the subsequent protests and discussion that have launched since then last weekend. We'll dive into all that. The last segment of The Ron Show coming up after this on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show, final segment for the week. Not going to lie, these uh, late-night baseball games, and I went to the battery last night. My friend Ludwig, who is like a large child in a 40-year-old man's body, um, just had to go and I said okay fine we'll go got tailgate chairs went out there and uh, watched that abomination of a baseball game <laughs> and I'm I am admittedly a sore loser I am I can't hide it it's impossible for me to hide it when you're I mean I'm damn near 50 years old and I am a lifelong Braves fan lifelong Falcons fan lifelong dog lifelong Hawks fan. That's a, that's a lot of that's a lot of heartache packed into one human being. It's just hard for me to process it internally and not combust. So I I let her rip. I want to say it was after uh, Acuña's fly out into left center field that I got up and packed my tailgate chair in the bag it came in and was ready to go and my friend Ludwig wasn't. So I got to stand there simmering and watching the last three innings this friendly fella behind come on man you can't quit you believe don't you and i'm like i've seen this this i've seen this movie many times i know how it ends i can go ahead and tell you the credits are rolling (laughs) so um i want to believe man i really do i want to believe but i mean i was i was proven right anyway uh i'm kind of exhausted i guess is the point and i'm also a little pre-exhausted if you don't know what that term is uh to me, pre-exhaustion is when you know you've got like a busy day or a few days ahead of you and you're exhausted just thinking about it. For those who don't know, Atlanta Pride is this weekend. Again, we don't do Pride in June in Atlanta because it's hot as hell here. We're not hanging out in Piedmont Park in 100 degree heat. No. We're going to do it in uh, cooler temperatures. And we are going to do it in cooler temperatures. Usually it's the first week of October and for some reason... I think it got moved because of uh, Indigenous Peoples Day. Well, I don't know actually know why that happened because I thought having the holiday Monday after Pride was sort of a benefit. I don't know. Anyway, um, Pride is this weekend. 
I am on my, uh, I, I play in three softball leagues. I'm on one of the boards and it, it is my task. And I learned this very late last year. It is my task to sort of organize our parade presence, our booth space, et cetera, and so on. And like, we didn't even have a vehicle secured for the parade until Wednesday. And and it's not because I was waiting to the last second. It's because uh, we didn't really have the budget and then found some money and kind of squeezed some juice out of some lemons to make something happen. And I had stuff booked and things just kept getting canceled on us. Oh, we suddenly have a conflict in booking. and Oh, that trolley you rented, you know, the windows don't actually open, right? What's the point of a trolley in a parade if you can't open the windows and wave it? Anyway, um, so I was a good bit stressed this week trying to finalize all that. Anyway, ducks are all in a row now. We're kind of ready, ready to roll, but yeah, I'm pretty exhausted. I'm exhausted, and I'm also pretty exhausted. So I don't know when I'm going to get some sleep. I guess uh, Sunday night. I may sleep in Monday. Yeah, I may sleep in Monday. Uh, I got a house to show on Monday. See, that's how it goes, y'all. And and understand this. If you listen to the show routinely or podcast, uh, you obviously, I would think, understand that this is not a full-time job. Well, no kidding. It doesn't sound like it is anyway. I hear you, smart Alex. But uh, no, this is not my job. This, in fact, I don't make money off of this at all. I would like to, if there are advertisers out there, feel free. You can uh, holler, Ron at RonShowATL.com. 404-919-2725. Glad to weave in some sponsor messages. But uh, so I sell real estate, deal with my softball league stuff, play in three leagues, and I stay pretty busy. Uh, it looks as if, let's pivot. It looks as if we may have another Speaker of the House to vote on. And if any Republicans have had issues with the way Senator John Fetterman dresses, I refer you to Jim Loose tie, rough t-shirt. I mean, the guy, does he own an iron? Did he not drop that stuff off at the, the laundromat, the, the dry cleaners? Come on, man. Let's see how this guy dresses when he you know, has to look the part. Anyway, Jim Jordan uh, is the one who got enough votes. And it's my understanding we don't have uh, a head count of votes in the Republican House conference. Uh, they don't want to have their hand shown, is my guess. Uh, by showing how many folks aren't all that crazy about Jim Jordan being the guy that will be floated for the House Speaker's role uh, when that comes to a floor vote very soon. But they're going to bring it to a floor vote pretty soon. And by the way, there was a Georgia congressperson who sort of mounted a challenge. And because Marjorie Taylor Greene is kind of a fan of Jim Jordan, jerks of a feather flock together, um, it wasn't her. Representative Austin Scott from rural South Georgia decided he wanted to float himself uh, as a potential uh, House Speaker. Uh, he got about a third of all the GOP votes, um, which is kind of a, I mean, you know, kind of a big deal. I mean, for somebody who like nobody knew who Austin Scott even was, he got about a third of the votes. He is the uh, longest-serving representative in Georgia's delegation. So he announced he was running for speaker uh, early this morning, and then they took a vote, and he got about a third of the votes. But obviously that's not enough. It's funny. In the the Republican House conference, they like democracy. They don't like it for uh, presidential elections. 
Last thing I want to touch on for today and for the week, there seems to be a lot of confusion, and I think some of it's on purpose. In fact, I know a lot of it's on purpose with regard to campus protests happening throughout the country. There is this effort to blackball any student who's part of an organization that bills itself as being humanitarian if that humanitarian uh, empathy includes Palestinians. It's disgusting. And, I, you know, that's just, it's the rights, uh, the, the punditry, and but it's not just the right. In fact, I saw this example earlier today on Twitter. Uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporter Greg Bluestein, who is a fantastic reporter, written books, just a great guy. He's also a Jewish American. So about eight hours ago, he tweets that uh, University of Georgia President Jared Moorhead warns there could be pro-Hamas protests, he said. And then he included the letter from the University of Georgia President Jared Moorhead. The problem is, nowhere in that letter is the word Hamas or the term pro-Hamas. And that, to me, is... I'm not going to accuse uh, uh, Greg Bluestein of being deliberately obtuse here, but that's happening a lot. That is really happening. Listen, I don't know. I don't know how else to explain this except to say that the distortion that seems to be happening on purpose between Hamas, a political faction within Palestine, and all of Palestine or Palestinians seems to be on purpose. Hamas is no more akin to Palestine than MAGA is akin to America, the United States. We're not all MAGA. Not all Republicans are even MAGA. So to characterize all Republicans as MAGA, like they're not all Marjorie Taylor Greenish, right? And a lot of Republicans would push back on that. I'm not like her. I'm not like them. Not all Palestinians are Hamas. They're a political faction. An awful, revolting, repugnant, terrorist, political faction. But we have to be careful not to dismiss the humanitarian needs of those who are in the crosshairs, figuratively and literally, as Israel says, you got 24 hours to get 1.1 million people out of Gaza. Well, that's logistically impossible. Even the United States is now kind of pushing back on that and saying, uh... Pay attention now. We kind of have some rules of war here that we'd like you to abide by. Some international rules of law, uh, war here. Yes, there have been, in fact, I, I believe it was Thursday, a pro-Palestinian rally on the UGA campus. About 100 people showed up and some counter-protesters showed up. But that doesn't mean that that is a pro-Hamas rally. That is a pro-Palestinian rally, a humanitarian rally. Can we not all agree? I'm not Palestinian. I'm not Jewish. I have friends who are both, or not both, but I have friends who are Palestinian or friends who are Jewish. Like, I want a de-escalation, right? Can we not talk peace instead of ratcheting up war? I realize you got to root out terror. I get that. But that doesn't mean innocent lives have to be lost in the process. And I would tell Bluestein or any right-wing pundit or whomever that wants to purposely distort Palestinian versus Hamas, you're not helping. You're actually making the situation worse. Now is a fantastic opportunity for people to actually be pro-life. That is going to do it for the Ron Show. Back on Monday, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast show notes. 
at ronshowatl.com. Past episodes as well. Have a great weekend.